G'day folks and welcome to episode 2 of our Moonstone special. This episode we'll be looking at things like the graphic novels including Legacy, Moonstone's various mini and uh, spin-off series as well as the legacy they left on the history of the Phantom. So be sure to check it out but if you haven't seen, uh, I should say heard episode 1 yet, make sure you take a look at that first. Righto, hope you enjoy. Bye. So should we move on from the ongoing to the rest of the graphic novels? Yeah. Right. Okay, so Moonstone did another three graphic novels. Um, they It wasn't really a second series as such. There was just a big gap between the first lot we mentioned and these next three, and also these are a lot thicker. Um, the original ones, the, the Valley of the Golden Men, and that they were around 40, 50 pages. These ones you're looking at 90 to 100 pages each. So of the, f- the first of the new graphic novels was a very ambitious and very controversial legacy, which was released in 2006. Now, we might actually leave that to the end to discuss because it, there's a lot to discuss about it. Um, so we'll go on to the next two, which, which was Law of the Jungle, uh, also released in 2006, and Man Eaters, which was released in 2007. Now, the interesting thing about Man Eaters and Law of the Jungle is it featured a format um, that Moonstone called Wide Vision, which basically meant that on each double page there was, a, there was art running... Um, kind of across the middle of the page, like your letterbox format when you watch TV. And then in the negative area, so the black area, is where the story text would go. So it's not a comic as such. It's more a kind of illustrated adventure book, an adventure novel, I guess you would say. Um, There was many diversive opinions about... Yeah, I didn't like it. No, you didn't like it? No. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm very torn. Um, I love the concept, I love the idea that they tried to do something different, mm-hmm. um, and I like the idea where, now, it almost looks like it's just a bunch of still photography and then they've kind of arted it up a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, put like a, a black line around it and... Yeah, that's, uh, Laura of the Jungle you're speaking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, now it didn't work for me. I have a huge problem with the art in Law of the Jungle. Um, it's obviously been done by CG, and one of the biggest problems I have with CG art is everybody looks 
very stiff, very posed, and it might sound a weird thing to say about artwork, but it looks very fake. Um, when you have an, something that's drawn, you can tell it's drawn, you can tell it's painted, yes, but you have that artistic integrity of the painting. I always feel that CG art loses that a lot. Things just look too clean, I guess, and they've tried to overcome that by putting textures and things on, but it really, just for my personal taste, I really do not like the artwork at all in Lore of the Jungle. I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's terrible. But that's just my personal opinion. As for the actual format of widescreen, I don't know. It, it is an interesting idea, but I don't think it quite worked. I think maybe if they sort of incorporate, instead of having that clear division between art and text, if they'd incorporated them a bit more together, like they do in, say, children's storybooks, maybe it would have worked a bit more. I don't know, but I don't think it really works that well. However, having said that, when you go to Man Eaters, where you have actual illustrated artwork, I think it looks a lot nicer in that the the text and the illustrated work sort of work a lot better together than the CG stuff. Yeah, I agree. Because it does look more like a picture book instead mm. of, like you said, a bunch of photos that they've just tried to fancy up. Um, yeah. What did you think of the actual stories, though? Um, I enjoyed the Man-Eater story. Yep. Um... The Law of the Jungle, like, it wasn't... Well, good, solid stories, but I think the problem with The Law of the Jungle is that I couldn't really get past the art. Yeah. It, it was interesting, because they tried to tell the story from the villain's perspective. So it was about yeah. a villain trying to get revenge on the Phantom for doing whatever he did, and it was told completely from the villain's perspective, which is an interesting clever. idea, but, yeah, that artwork just really... If they had someone a bit grittier, someone like the um, that did the art in the Noor series, which we'll talk about in a minute, do it, I think it would have worked a lot better. But, yeah, no, the art just completely yeah. takes me out of the story. It was, and this is one of the things that I do like about Moonstone, is that they tried things. They didn't always work. Mm. Yeah, of the wide vision, I... It probably it was a bit hit. It was very hit and miss. Well, they only did I, the two two wide vision books. Yeah, it was you know it was very it was hit and miss, but it was a it was a great idea. It was a great concept to try to see if it worked. And oh, you know you, you can't fault them for that. No, no, they they need to be given praise and be given kudos for the amount of. Mm. Uh, exploration and stuff they did, not just with the Phantom character, but with the medium of comics as well, how they could present it. Yeah. They really did some great stuff. Um, so we'll move on to Legacy now. Now, this was, as I said before, very controversial. It's divided the fan community a great deal. If you haven't seen Legacy, basically the idea of it is it is the first Phantom's diary um, of his journey, basically, from when he... Uh, was shipwrecked um, on Bangor. Actually, it starts as he leaves, I think, England, um, and then, of course, takes place over the course of when he leaves England to when the singer attack the ship, when he's washed up to, on the shores of Bengala, rescued by the Bandar, and eventually becomes the Phantom. It, it's basically his diary 
um, from that period through, and it's, it's in- the, yeah for, of the origin story. Yeah, and it's interspersed with um, artwork that is intended to look like um, the old wood. Uh, the artwork's by Pat Quinn, and it, the artwork is intended to look like the old wood gravings that you'll see in a lot of um, sort of medieval um, and early 1800s, or, or even earlier than that, 1700s um, illustrations, where they'd carve the artwork into wood, then cover it in ink and print it onto a page via a form of press. Um, now, it's I quite enjoyed it. Um, I do think it wasn't... It was written by Ben Rabb, too, we should say that. Um, It was pumped a hell of a lot by Moonstone. It was... um, I think that's why I didn't like it as much, because there was so much anticipation about it. Yeah, they were claiming it was going to be the greatest Phantom story ever and all this sort of thing. Yeah. For me, I love the concept. Mm -hmm. Where it missed was the fact that the text was hard to read. Yeah, the text is written almost so it looks like the text of the time. It's very cursive. It's very flowing. It's got all the um, the, the, the various lines. lines yeah, and I think... That we used to have to learn to do before the current style came in. And I think, too, while they, they watered it down a little bit, they tried to keep the old English... Um, like, for example, there's a, sent- there's a paragraph here that says, Furthermore, what I knew of these deep woods, little to naught, forsooth. I knew not which tribes to call friends and which to regard as foe. So it's very much, you know, purple prose, keeping within, you know, the time of, of when it was supposedly That's written. Which I think put up a barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. Um... And, you know, you can look at that at two ways. You can say, yes, they shouldn't have done it because it did put up a barrier for a modern audience, or, yes, they should have done it because it's supposed to be a diary of this guy that lived in the, you know, with mm. 1700s or whatever it is, and that's how he hiding. would have written. They were in a hiding for nothing, really. Yeah. They'd yeah. done it one way or the other. We would have been complaining about the other. Exactly. Exactly. I, I didn't mind it. Um, I, I didn't have any problem reading it myself, but I have read a lot of older books so maybe I was accustomed to it but I know more educated than the rest of us well I I didn't want to say that I think (laughs) what I meant is I just had more experience with that style of writing I guess it's good to see the teachers a little bit more educated then well we're more educated than Tony Abbott would leave you to believe but let's not get into that um yeah, so that I think the language, like you said, put up a bit of a barrier for people. The, the text, the font they use, put up a bit of a barrier because it is a little bit hard to read. Um, and there was things that they changed that really upset some people. Um, of which, of course, I can't remember straight off the top of my head now. But yeah, I, remember- I can't remember that. All I remember is that I, I, I couldn't read it because it was... Like, and I'm not saying that I'm dumb and illiterate and I can't understand old English, but... <laughs> Yeah, because I can. Yeah, yeah. but you can imagine like that. a fifteen, sixteen-year-old kid trying to read this at the time. But you know, for for me, it was like it was my time is short, um, and this is a really hard read. And the time you get time, it's already at the bottom of the pile, stacked away somewhere in your phantom room, and you just haven't got around to it. 
Yeah, oh. it is very dense, isn't it? There's a lot mm. of word and language it's in there. the same as the storyteller um, thing that the Swedish Lee Fulton or Bengala's Explorers Club book did. Yeah. You know, it's so dense, I just haven't got around to reading it. It's the same as the, you remember the short, the short story prose stories mm-hmm. that Moonstone did? I read the first book. I haven't even looked. I don't even think I've opened it out of the out of the wrapper of the second one. Yeah, well, it's the I, same thing. I didn't read the second one because the first one was so hit and miss. But we'll get that. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about. It. I think. I think. But it was a lot an, of people loved it, and a, a lot, lot of people, people did. Like it. It's it's very down the middle, isn't it? Like some mm. people really, like you say, really enjoyed it, and others hated it. We actually posted um, on the Phantom Collector Facebook group asking people for their opinions on Moonstone, and a couple of people commented specifically on um, on Legacy. Jermaine, you yourself started things off saying that you thought Legacy was a flop. It was a great concept, but the finished product didn't meet your expectations. Um, and people disagreed with me, which yep, is people okay. people did. Uh, we have Jim, I, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly here, Jim. J, Jim Layex, who agreed with you. He said that, um, I must say, I really enjoyed Legacy. Oh, sorry. No, I'm reading the wrong thing. He, I, he agrees with you on many things. However, he must say that um, he enjoyed Legacy, particularly Ben Rab's Chronicle-style text. So there you go. He loved the font. <laughs> um Lucas Feloso also enjoyed Legacy. Um, and then we get talking about... Um, so, in other words, there's a lot of educated people that enjoy it. Yeah, there's a lot of people more educated than you, mate. But, no, <laughs> that, the people that didn't like it just obviously mustn't have commented. They probably saw the picture of Legacy I put up there and went, I'm not looking at that. Um, yeah, but it's definitely that, that story, probably out of all of them, yeah. A very, very um, uh, probably uh, got the most talk, talk whether they loved it or whether they didn't. Yeah, it's by far the most divisive one that I think Moonstone yeah, did. Moonstone did. Um, what did you think of the artwork in it? Um, I enjoyed the artwork. Mm. Like I liked the artwork. It, you know, it looked like something. Um, you know, that you would draw... Like, I don't know if you've ever watched the TV series uh, Grimm. Yep. Um, where basically... It, it, Grimm, when you watch Grimm, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, the Phantom in the sense that, they're all, you know, he's going back through Chronicles and stuff. And he has sketches <laughs> and drawings along with the text and stuff like that. And it's very like that. It's like what an actual diary would look like. And if you've if you've seen other work of Pat Quinn's, it's not his natural style. And no, so it's not. He's done a great job in, um, uh, what would you call it, in changing his style for the medium. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful line work, what he's, what he's done here. It's absolutely, absolutely lovely. I'd, um, this is probably some of my favourite artwork from any Moonstone book. I absolutely love this stuff. Gorgeous work. So yeah, legacy, very very divisive. But some people loved it, some people didn't because oh, and I feel really bad now. But I can't find or remember what it was that could people people didn't like about that they changed. Um, probably should have looked that up. I think it was when he met his. It was something about his who, the woman that becomes his wife. 
she wasn't supposed to be there on Mangala. She actually met met her in Lee Fork story. She, he met her overseas somewhere. Oh, uh, she's in Mangala. Yeah. Um, but I can't quite remember the details. But I remember that was quite a sticking point for for many people. But um. Never mind, we'll move, move on, on to yep. Generations, eh? Yep, so we'll move on to Generations. Now, I'm not sure if um, Generations was a direct sort of uh, spin-off of um, Legacy or not, but it's a very similar um, type of idea. Phantom Generations was a series of prose comics, so you had, like, Legacy, you had um, a page of text and then generally a page of artwork. Uh, and that the idea originally was for each issue, there was going to be 21 issues, um, each issue to cover one fandom each. So, you know, issue one might be the first, issue two would be the second, and so forth. Um, now, just playing devil, devil's advocate here, because let's face it, we all are doing that. Yeah. Or just I do. Um, <laughs> Do you think that were, were they always going to be prose stories, or were they going, or was it because of the license debacle that they kind of cut it down to the prose, which was quicker for the whole production series? Um, to be perfectly honest, I don't know. Um, I would guess that they were all intended to be prose because they were trying to do the whole like the legacy, legacy type or, thing. Or, but, um, yeah, I honestly don't know. Honestly don't know. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this. Though. Now, I will be honest, and, again, there was seen there's a lot of words. I think at this stage, I can't remember at this stage, I just got married or something like that. So, you know, you, you're kind of focusing on other aspects. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get to, I haven't read all of them. I've got them all, but the ones that I did read, I enjoyed. And I, I also like seeing some like different artists. Like we saw Alex Saviak, and you know, some we've we got a nice blend of different creators, which I thought was good. Yeah, and and it's an interesting, it's interesting to look into you know the the past phantoms and see what happened because mm. because they're all original stories, so they're not kind of rehashes of um of you know Lee Fork stuff. So so or, or uh, Diana being kidnapped and yeah. Dad having to rescue him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some of the artwork, um, like you said, is really nice, but some of the covers are just brilliant. Um, yeah. There's, like, issue six is the Phantom bursting forth from the pages. Like, literally, the, the background is, like, a newspaper strip, Barry newspaper strip, and then you have the Phantom bursting through the paper, you know, looking very happy with himself and... Um, Issue, which one? Is yeah, it? They, 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 it was kind of like they, they did well with these covers where, remember our earlier comment where some of the covers we didn't really enjoy? Yeah. Yeah, and. Maybe um, it was just because Doug Kaluba was involved with Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Like, some of my favourites ones, just looking at them, would be 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. 10, I really enjoy 11, 12, you know, and then, and then probably the, um, the the combination one. Yeah. So, you know, there's some there's some great covers in that. Yeah. So, um, 
the combination one that Jermaine just mentioned, like we said, that was originally due to have 21 issues, one for each Phantom. However, due to Dynamite gaining the Phantom license, which um, I don't think we'll go into this episode. If you want to read about it, there's an article um, on the website that details that. Um, due to Dynamite gaming the Phantom license and Moonstone Obi having a certain amount of time to get all these issues out, they decided to cut the series at 13 issues with the final issue, issue 13, being... Um, uh, sorry, not the not the 13th issue. They did produce a further issue, uh, which was Phantom Generations Special, which contained, I think, three issues worth of um, of stories. So even though we had... That special, it really only ended up being 16 issues worth of content, so we never really got the whole Which was 21. Yeah, it was, because there were some of them, you know, were hit, hit or miss, but some of the stories were really good. The majority so, of them were good. Yeah, the majority were, was good, and the, the cover for uh, the special is quite nice as well. So, um, just to go over that again, because I messed it up, there was 13 issues of Phantom Generations, and then the one special, which had basically three issues worth of content. Hmm. So, yeah, it was a shame that, that we didn't get all those 21 issues, but at least we got 16, which which is always, you know, better than nothing. Definitely. And some people really love Generations. I remember you know, some people would say that it's the fa- favourite thing that um, Moonstone have, have done. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great concept. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Um, and so for the majority of Australian readers and Swedish readers, it probably wasn't as special, but for a lot of people who don't get the Frews or the Egmonts, it's, you know, it's a great, because, you know, there's 400 years of different stories you can tell. Yeah, exactly. It's you a- know, different time frames. You've got, you know, the, you know, you've got the Civil War, you've got, uh, you know, all the European stuff, you've mm-hmm. got, you know, countries being discovered and tamed and... You know, civilizations and exploring. You've got all that type of stuff. You've got, um, you know, your favorite era where the bosoms overflowed like, uh, <laughs> like the wine. Um, you know, so you had all these great er- eras and you can chuck the fan in inside it. Yeah, exactly. You can be pretty much anywhere amongst all that stuff. Hmm. Right. Well, let's, let's move on, um, to Moonstone's other pub- publications between, um, sort of the announcement that they were going to lose the Phantom license and actually losing it. Moonstone produced a hell of a lot of stuff. Um, whether they had always been planned to produce this much stuff or they just got as much out as they could before they lost the license, we'll never know. But some of it was was brilliant. So we'll go through the rest mm. of it. Um, the first thing, however, actually came out right at the start of Moonstone's tenure of the Phantom, and that's the... Um, Graham Nolan's Sunday's collections. Now, we thought we'd speak about these separately to the trades because they're not actually, you know, all all the graphic novels, I should say, because they're not original stories. They're trade collections of Graham Nolan's Sunday strips. Um, There were two volumes of these, both released in 2005. They collected um, pretty much all, but I don't think every Graham Nolan illustrated Phantom Sunday strip. Um, unfortunately, there was an error in the second volume, which resulted in stories being printed backwards. So you'd sort of read halfway through it in order, and then all of a sudden the stories would get jumbled up. Um, but if you read from 
the front to the middle and then the back to the middle, everything made sense. So it wasn't a complete disaster. Um, I love these things. But yeah. I'm a huge fan of Graham Nolan's artwork. Like, I just adore his mm. art. So Well, I've, I've got some original art of his. Yeah, just rub and, it in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I agree. And they, these comics are actually really, really hard to get a hold of now. Yeah, if you didn't buy them when they come, came out, um, good You're luck. You're looking at, at over 100 bucks. Yep. And they printed them in landscape as well, so they kept the... Um, the correct dimensions for the strips, and it's all in full colour. Um, it's it's just absolutely beautiful stuff. But the covers, the covers are great. Yeah, the covers are brand new by Nolan, specifically for these editions. Um, yeah, they're, it's really beautiful stuff. Really beautiful stuff. Um, this is probably one of probably one of my favourite things that they've done. You know, they've done a lot of good things, but this is, would be one of my favourites. Oh yeah, by far. It's just, <laughs> excuse me, it's just wonderful to have, you know, and Graham Nolan didn't draw the Phantom for a terribly long time. Um, but I think but, his impact was very Oh, it was, yeah, yeah. His stuff is just so well done. It's so beautiful to look at. I think, he, I think he really brought a real revival of the character. Mm. Because you got to remember, Graham Nolan is very, he's very popular not just amongst the fan fans, but amongst all other fans as well, with his work on Batman and you know and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, he was um, a well-established artist before he came to the Phantom. Mm, so it, it kind of brought some credibility back to the Phantom. Yeah, and and his style is very. It's you know we often talk about artists, you know their style. We enjoy their style when they're reminiscent of Cy Barry, which. You know, it could be taken, if you say, oh, I like this artist because he looks like someone else, that could be taken as a good or a bad thing. And Graham Nolan's art, I don't think, looks like Cy Barry's, but it has the same aesthetic. Like, it's very, it's a very classical style. It's very, mm. you know, almost, not not minimal, but he, he's got the lines in there that he, that he needs, and that's it. There's no, you know, umpteen amounts of cross-hatching and shading and all that sort of stuff. It's just... It's yeah. very. Um, I'm trying to think of the, trying to think of the correct term, but it, it's it's very nice to look at. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah, and it's better in color than it is in black and white. Oh yeah, by far, by far. All right, so um, we'll move on to that. Uh, Moonstone released two annuals, one in 2007 and the other in 2009. The first annual um, contained a story called Five Days of the Dragon, which. I love this story. Yeah, it was a spanning story involving several generations of the fandom. So there was a, um, a problem that was that occurred for seven generations of the fandom. And it wasn't until our fandom that that mystery, that problem, was finally solved. Um, it was a brilliant story. It was a brilliant idea. Again, it's one of those things where... You, and Moonstone did a lot of this. One of those ideas where you went, how has no one ever done that before? It just seems so obvious. Mm. Um but it, it was, I haven't actually read it in a while, but it, it, I remember it being quite a good story. Yeah. This was probably, well, both annuals, but especially annual one, are probably, is probably my best story, is my, my favourite story or my favourite issue. Yeah? Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I, I don't know if I'd say it's my favourite because it's been so long since I read it and all the others, but I remember in really, really enjoying it. So I'd definitely be up. Um, 
second annual uh, was which was released two years apart. Which was released two years apart, so not quite annual, but any biannual. Biannual. Yeah, semi-annual. Um, it was co-written by Mike Bullock and Kevin Gruviox. For those that don't know, Kevin Gruviox is the writer of the Underworld films. So you know, it was kind of exciting to have a Hollywood, famous Hollywood writer writing our our purple clad hero. Now, Jermaine, you said you enjoyed the second annual. Yeah, I did. Um, the second annual, for those who may not have may not have seen it, was a meet-up between the Phantom and Mandrake, because for a while there, there was quite the possibility that Moonstone might also do a Mandrake series. Sadly, that never happened, probably because of the licensing issues we mentioned before. But this was kind of the first time in a Moonstone book the Phantom and Mandrake had really met up. Um, so, yeah, Jermaine, you enjoyed it? Yeah, I did. It was, it was done well in the sense that because the Phantom and Mandrake are two different characters. They come from two different worlds. Yeah, they come from Leaf Fork, but you've got the action-adventure action story, and then you've got the mystical, magical elements. And I don't know, the Phantom doesn't always, in my opinion, work well with that. Mm-hmm. But I thought this was done quite well. I yep. thought the balance was, was done good as well. Um, I'm of the complete opposite opinion. I didn't enjoy it at all. I thought the first half was really, really rushed, which was kind of a shame because I found out that was Mike Bullock's half. Um, but the second half of it was was okay. But yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy it at all. But that's just me. Yeah, all right, we'll move um, on then. Yeah, we'll move on. So we've got the Phantom Chronicles, which we mentioned a little bit before. So these are two prose anthologies, which collected short stories with various um, spot illustrations from various. Writers, the first volume of this was released in 2007, and the second volume in 2010. Um, now, the first one was very, very popular. It was. She, uh, didn't it get a second printing? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I bel- I'm not sure. I know there was a, a soft and a hard cover. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain. With uh, that little the, uh, artist annex. Yeah, yeah, I'm fairly certain the first volume got a second printing. I'm not sure about the second volume, but the first volume I'm 99% sure did because it was so popular they sold out. Um, again, I, I haven't read the second volume. The first volume I found maybe 70% of the stories were quite good. The rest were kind of either meh or just terrible. <laughs> um, I haven't read it. I read it when it came out, and I haven't read it since, so I couldn't tell you which stories I enjoyed and which I didn't. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, I just, you know, to be honest, I don't have the time to read a um, a book. <laughs> That's fair enough. A lot of people wouldn't. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know it was a good idea. Moonstone was quite um, experienced at doing prose anthologies. They'd done ones for The Shadow and I think The Spider and a whole bunch of other. And characters. Lady Domino or something like that. Yeah, so um, you know it, it wasn't out of their area of expertise to do. So, oh, it was a great idea. You know, they had uh, Mike Bullock, Ed Rhodes, David mm-hmm. Bishop. You know, there's just some names that a lot of. Um, a uh, fandom people would know. Yeah. You know, Ed Rhodes, well, you know, was friends with the fandom. Uh, then you had David Bishop, who did a lot of uh, stuff for Egmont as well. Um, they had a few female writers in there as well. So, and they did a, and there was a, um, what do you call it? Um, 
there was a, like a little uh, introduction by Lee Falk's daughter as well, yeah, Natalie yeah. Falk, which I That's thought right. was a very good touch. So did you? And the get, cover was awesome as well. Yeah, the cover was awesome. Did you get the hardcover copies or the soft cover? Uh, but I think I've got a soft and a hard cover, but I'm no. not sure. I, I I've got the artist annex, but I don't have a signed one. I don't think. Yeah, I only got the soft covers because I couldn't afford the hard cover. But um, I believe the hard covers are really, really nice. From what I've heard. Yeah, apparently there's only like 400. Yeah, so the hard cover got released twice. And I think there's only 400 of each. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I believe I've got the hard cover for it. Mm-hmm. Righto. Well, let's move on to the next thing. Now, this next series is, I think, one of the best, if not the best thing Moonstone did. And this is the Phantom Double Shot KGB Noor. Now, again, this is just a brilliant... Why has no one thought of this before idea? And it is a Noor-based... Phantom story, so it's all black and white, it's all um, dark. Bruce's been doing black and white for years, mate. Yeah, but that's not intentionally black and white. That's just we couldn't be bothered colouring this, so we'll print it in black and white. This was drawn specifically to be a black and white story. It was written specifically to be gritty and crime-like, like like noir stories are. it was a six-issue mini released in 2010. It's called Double Shot because half the issue was the Phantom and then the other half was another Moonstone character that kind of connected to the Phantom story, but not really. So in other words, forget the second half, just worry about the Phantom one. So I think they did this on purpose because they had lost the licence and they were, hope, they were hoping to try and introduce new characters to Phantom readers because... Yeah. The majority of the people that were buying their comics were Phantom fans. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, let's introduce you to some of our other characters so then you'll enjoy them so you'll continue to buy our comics. Yeah, you're probably completely right. You're probably completely right that it was very much a business decision to have it as half-half. But that doesn't worry me at all because the story itself, the Phantom part of it, the hammer, is brilliant. Mm. Everything about it is brilliant. The art is beautiful. The story is great. It's got brilliant the covers are nice as well. The covers are really nice. Um, and again, the covers are all black and white. It's, yeah, it's just wonderful. I think it's one of the best things that they did. You can get it um, in a trade paperback. So if you haven't seen it, because I think the issues are, are somewhat hard to get now, um, try and get the trade because it is just fantastic. I love the hell out of that thing. I'll stop. Gu- I'll stop gushing now. And Jermaine, you can tell us what you thought. Um, I enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you, though. Mm. Um, you sound like a bit of a, um, a man crush on it. Maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it, it was good. It was, um, and I didn't mind them using the time to try and introduce us to new characters, like. Yeah. And I know a couple of people actually started picking up some of the other ones after reading it. So, you know, I don't know whether they did it for a while or or what, but it was a great business concept to try and introduce us to other characters. Yeah, and and some of the backup stories, like I said sort of flippantly at the start, you know, ignore the second half, just read the Phantom thing. But that's not true. Some of the the, uh, the second half of some of those issues were quite good. Some of them weren't so great. 
Um, I think the Kolchak one was a bit dodgy, but there was one character, I think it was a Mike Bullock character called Death Angel that was quite good. Um, I think it was a female character. I'm not sure if it was Domino Lady. It might have been someone else that was also Oh, a lot of guys like that. Yeah, well, yeah, but not just for the boobs. The story was good as well. Um, so, yeah, no, they they were good, but that Phantom stuff was just brilliant. They I think also it was, did the um, the variant cover with the blank cover. Yes, yes. So the, the sketch covers, oh, the, is that what they call them? No, I'm not sure what they call them, but, yeah, it's just basically a blank cover, so you can take it to a convention. The idea is to take it to a convention and have one of the artists draw you a picture on it. Yeah, I think I've got a double or something, so I'll have to do that one day. Yeah, yeah, I've got one here somewhere too. But anyway. <laughs> um, right, well, let's let's move on. We've also got the Phantom Cat, Captain Action, um, which was a two-issue crossover between, obviously, the Phantom and Cat, Captain Action that was released in 2010. Um, Moonstone acquired the license to do Captain Action comics, uh, Captain Action, for those that may not know, is based on an old uh, action figure that could dress up as many different characters. There was a Phantom version of Captain Action that came with a Phantom mask and all that sort of thing. The idea is he's a secret agent and he can turn into anyone. Um, I can't really remember the crossover. I remember not the terribly story, enjoying it. was it. fun. Yeah. Captain Action's a very... He's not... He doesn't take anything really serious. Um I liked how they had kind of like the play where Diana um, used to know Captain Action, and so, you know, he was a little bit like, oh, you chose the Phantom over me, and yeah. and, and stuff like that. Um, again, it was very like what we were saying with the other last series. It was like, oh, Phantom fans, here's another character that you might like, and where you've yeah. got the license of it. So, you know, it was a good introduction series to their other to the other ones because mm-hmm. the fan was very was was the backup character in my opinion. Yeah. It was Captain Action and the Phantom was well, the backup. I think it came out not long after they acquired the Captain Action license yeah. and there was a lot of excitement about that. I think Moonstone was kind of hoping that once they lost the Phantom, Captain Action would be the character that, you know, slotted in there to become their big house character sort of thing. It, don't think it quite worked out like that, but I think that's what they were hoping for. Hmm. Um, it was again. It was why hasn't someone done it before? Because they've been tied up with uh, what do you call it, toys. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, they had another two issue miniseries also released in 2010 called The Phantom Unmasked. Um, I can't remember a single thing about. I that enjoy story. this. <laughs> I remember the there was a giant alligator or something he fights but but that's that's kind of all I can remember um, um, that's I really bad it. isn't it <laughs> yeah I enjoyed it it's um the covers the covers are nice yeah it's um it, it's again it's got a you know very strong female character um you know and, and it delves in the whole unmasking of the phantom and I think this would have been part of the ongoing series, but then they kind of just wanted to get it out. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, it was enjoyable. I think, too, if I remember correctly, the trade collects Phantom and Unmasked and the Captain Action crossover together. I think they're all in the one book. 
Um, I think. I could be incorrect about that. I know there's a hardcover of the Captain Action, which is quite hard. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Um, but, yeah. Uh, well, the last, uh, the last Moonstone thing we really have to talk about is Moonstone's Holiday Spectacular, which was a one-shot issue featuring... Moonstone characters and short um, Christmas-themed stories. Um, again, I haven't read this for a while, so I can't quite remember it. But I remember it being fun, you know. It's just a light Christmas-themed yeah. issue. Um, there's a short story for each of the Moonstone characters, so if you didn't know them, you could you know, have a bit of a read. Yeah, just a bit of fun. Um, I like the front cover with the, fa- you know, the, all the heroes are standing around, but the fam's the one holding the Christmas tree over one shoulder. Yeah, how hardcore is he? <laughs> um, but it's a good. It was a good fun. Yeah. You know, to me, that's what a Christmas special should be like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was good um, fun. You know, fun. You know, the kids. You know, it's a Christmas filler or a stocking filler where you can buy something fun for the kids, mm-hmm. introduce them to a char- to a couple of the Moonstone characters, so then they'll start nagging their parents to buy some more. And yeah. You know, and that's what Christmas special should be like. That's what the free Christmas special should be like as well. A good Christmas stocking filler that gets kids excited so then they want to buy the series ongoing. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Now, for some reason, I have a memory of during that time, Moonstone doing another Christmas special, but I don't think the fandom was in it. Maybe that was because I was losing the license or something. Yeah, um, I must admit, I'm not 100 sure. I know there was like about four different versions of the Christmas. Um, yeah, there was a lot of variant covers. But um, yeah, and someone might be able to let us know. Righto. Well, I think that covers pretty much every uh, book or series that Moonstone released. Um, so I guess anyone still with us? <laughs> yeah, it's only been two odd hours. Um, so I guess we'll we'll talk about just Moonstone in general. So, given all the stuff we've just talked about, all the things that they've done, do you think that the moon that Moonstone was pos- a positive for the fandom? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I don't think there's yeah. much. I don't think there's much argument there. No, and I think even the hardcore fans, when you because there, there are a lot of hardcore fans, and you remember when Moonstone was around, um, the fandom forum was there, and it was at its peak. It was. So, you know, and at its peak, you know, you were involved as well. There was, like, the discussions were humongous. Mm-hmm. And it had fans from all around the world, different ages, different ethnic backgrounds, you know, different <laughs> everything. Yep. And there was people that didn't like Moonstone, but, you know, not not to mention names, but I bet you they'll prefer Moonstone than over some of the other stuff that are American. <laughs> yeah. And and whether you like what Dynamite's done or not, there is a good chance we would have had none of the Dynamite stuff if it wasn't for Moonstone. Yeah. Um, Moonstone really got the fandom back into, I suppose, maybe not the public consciousness, consciousness but the comic reading consciousness of America. Mm. Um, they really put him back in the spotlight in, in the US, which, you know, I think is only a can only be a good thing seeing that's where most of the comics come from that we read um yeah well the way i see it is you know i think you're the same you know we both started collecting around the mid 90s 
there was nothing. There was nothing coming out from America. There was a little mini series from DC in the late eighties, and then there was a um, the three issue uh, Marvel, the three issue Marvel, and then the the Phantom twenty forty. But you know, to be honest, you know, DC and Marvel, it was kind of in their weaker periods of comic yeah. art. Yep. And so it didn't do quite well, so they, you know, quickly dropped the, you know, dropped it out. And then you going back further, you had, you know, you, you had the Charlton and King and issues from the what the 60s and 70s, and mm-hmm. that was that's really about it. Yeah, you know, you've had a few smatterings bef- between, but there's been no other new stories, pretty much. No. From America. No, and now we've got companies fighting over him, so yeah, it's good. If Moonstone had flopped, I don't think companies would be fighting over it. No, it, it, we probably wouldn't even have the Hermes stuff. Well, maybe we would because um, I can't think of his, his first name, but uh, Mr. Hermes is apparently a huge fan of fans, so maybe he would have done it anyway, but I don't think he would have had as good a time or they would have been as successful if it wasn't for Moonstone. Mm. So, exactly. And, and you can it, tell they're successful by the... Um, the licensing issues that we've already talked about in previous podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Now, leading on to that, um, do you think that Mo- the Moonstone series will leave a legacy behind and still be talked about in years to come? Well, we're talking about it five years after yeah, they've exactly. their, their thing. Um, exactly. And people still talk about it today, you know, even with um, the DE stuff, they'll go, oh, well, Dynamite did this, but I really prefer what Moonstone did, or it should be more like Moonstone. Um, I remember we're... Just today, actually, there's a um, post on Phantom Collector about the latest uh, King issue, the Phantom King issue, and someone actually commented, I can't find it right now, but so to paraphrase, they said, you know, they should look at what Moonstone did because they weren't enjoying the the King issue. So they said they should look at Moonstone did, what Moonstone did and find out how to do the Phantom properly. So, you know, people are obviously still... Yeah considering it some sort of benchmark. And, and I think if you're a, if you one, if you're still listening to us, but two, if you're a, a new follower, I think you need, I think it's worth giving out the Moonstone issues. And the good thing about Moonstone is that they've released a lot of them in trade paperbacks and stuff, yeah. so you don't have to try and hunt down every single issue. Um, you could just hunt, you know, you could probably hunt down maybe 15, 15 trade paperbacks instead of, you know, 40-odd issues, 40-odd yeah. comics. Jump on, um, uh, not Phantom Collector, jump on Book Depository or something and you'd probably be able book to... Deposit, book Depository, uh, Phantom's Vault, Amazon, yeah. you know, yeah. they've all got trade paperbacks and their single issues and they are worth digging out. Yeah. Um, not all of them are great classic stories, but overall what they did it was really good. And, and I think, you know, Ben Rad did a great job at the start. But for whatever reason, he couldn't continue. And I thought Mike Bollock really handled it quite well. Yeah, he did. And And he was really... Sorry. And for him to be able to bring it to what it was, I thought he... um, Yeah. I thought they will always have a legacy. Yeah, and I think... um with Mike too, he he kind he knew about the character. He was for everything he said. He was already a fan, but he'd never written him before. And I think coming into that, he he really embraced what the community um, was saying about his stuff because he used to be on the forums. 
um, a lot. He he talk on the Phantom Forum. He talk on Chronicle Fanders forums. He talk on the Moonstone forums to fans. Um, so he was you know very much involved with with the fan community as well as you know just writing yeah. stories, which was great. He's light years ahead of DE. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, um, I don't think Dynamite has even once contacted the fan base or I've sent them heaps of emails for the website and never heard back so I don't, you know to be honest it's you know they, they saw Moonstone's success thought hey we've got better creative teams we can do a better job and we can make a quick buck out of it mm. and then they totally screwed it up yeah um, well see my next question was going to be um, would you like to have seen Moonstone continue as a published fandom stories and I think you just answered it and Personally, as much as I enjoyed King and what, what the other stuff they've done, maybe not Last Phantom, but the other stuff they've done, if I had a choice between Moonstone continuing and the DE stuff, I'd pick Moonstone straight away. Oh, hands down. Yeah. Um, you know, probably, to be truthful, I think you could go as far as saying that Moonstone's pro- you know, is probably the best American publisher of the Phantom. Yeah, well, I haven't read all of the DC issues yet, but of those I have yet read, yes, I would agree. I think the thing that works so well for Moonstone, what they really nailed, especially Ben Rabb and Mike Bullock, is they modernised the character. And when I say modernised, I don't mean gadgeted him up and made him like Batman. They made him relevant to a modern audience while still keeping the classic integrity of the character in place. Like, he, he didn't... Where, you know, in, in the Marvel Mini, he wears a Kevlar armor um, as his costume, which kind of makes sense, you know, in a way, yeah. because you want to be bulletproof. But he didn't have that in the Moonstone stuff. He was still just in purple tights, but, you know, he, he was dealing with modern-day stuff. All the technology was made to be modern, but it didn't get rid of the... Um, like, he still had the well under the Jungle Patrol... Um, you know the well that connects all the those elements. That all that stuff was still there, but it was still relevant for modern audience, and they just hit that sweet spot, which is very mm. hard to do. And we've seen publishers try and fail doing that many times. Yeah, and I will admit I was excited with what DE were supposedly doing when they heard Alex Ross and I saw some of his artwork. And I thought, oh wow, but to be you know to. To be honest, DE remind me of how can I put this? You know, they remind me of a used car salesman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I like that. You I know, think- they're in it to make the quick buck. They're not, you know, and I'm sure Moonstone made a lot of money from the Phantom. Yeah, because you know it was obvious that they, you know, you know they brought out a lot of stuff with it, and they. You know, milked they milked the cow for all it was worth, and but you know it's fair enough. They're there to make money as well. Yeah, uh, but, but what what they did that milk that they produced was really good. Yeah, exactly. They they took care of it, and you know, and, and they didn't just didn't you know they they found someone who was actually a decent writer. You know, and Mike Bullock, you know, he didn't hit the nail with every story he did, but he hit the nail the majority of the time. Yeah. He'd won awards with some of his earlier work and stuff like that. So it was obviously he was talented. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then yeah, even the publisher and stuff like that would always engage with fans and, you know, yep. 
and, and stuff like that. It's it's chalk and cheese between the two. Yeah, and, and to their credit too, like it's, it's probably um, you know we, we won't get into too much D stuff because that's probably a discussion for another podcast. But I I highly doubt that there would have been as much interest in the last Phantom if Alex Ross wasn't connected to it. But with Moonstone, they were this tiny little company that no one had really heard of, particularly within Phantom fan circles. No one had really heard of, and they had Ben Rab, who at the time wasn't, you know, we all knew him because he worked for Egmont, but within the larger comic American comic community, he wasn't what you'd call a superstar writer. Mm. Um, so you had this little group of people that were doing it because they loved the character and they felt that America needed more Phantom, and they just built it up. You know, it sounds kind of tacky, but they kind of just built it up through love of the character and yeah. made some great stuff where, like you said, D just went, oh, money, let's do this thing, and attached a big name to it, hoping people would buy it just because it was attached to Alex Ross, which admittedly did work for them until two or three issues in when everyone found out it was rubbish. But the thing is, Moonstone, people stayed around with Moonstone. They kept right, They kept buying it. So, you know, like you said, the quality's there. I remember I remember people doing a post like comparing the sales between Moonstone and DE, and I think from memory, and I, uh, you know, this is only memory, and I'm sure people will remind me if I'm a little bit incorrect, but I think the sales were very similar. Mm. I know the last uh, Phantom dropped off a fair bit towards oh, yeah. the middle middle of it. Um, but, I think yeah. the first issue sold like. I don't know, I want to say 8,000 copies or something, and then by issue five or something, it was just selling 1,000. So yeah, it was a fairly big... Yeah, it was a huge drop. So what was your fa- what were your favourite stories again? Let's go over your favourite stories. Well, the definitely... The first annual? Yeah, the first annual, definitely KGB Nor. Um, the first uh, two-ish... The ter- first four issues of the, on- the first, the first ongoing, they're brilliant, and probably um, oh that last graphic novel that Ben Rab did, the Ghost Killers. That's probably they're probably my favourites. They they are the ones that yeah. stick with me. Yeah, probably the first two of the graphic novels. So you've got the Singweb, um, the that killer one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, the invisible, first Invisible Arc series, uh, the two annuals, um, yeah. And that, so they're very similar as, as, as you as what were some of my favourite stories. Yeah, and, and it's interesting though that um, Legacy is always one I think of too, but not particularly because it's my favourite, because it was such a different thing and because of all the yeah. hullabaloo surrounding it. See, it wasn't my favourite, but I loved the concept, and I'm glad they actually did it. Yeah, me too. Because it, 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 it's a it's a it's a nice looking book. Oh, very. You know, it's the a, cover's nice. And, and, and imagine a, if they had, you know, if they had been maybe in a better financial position, if they made that hard cover and did it up looking like an old chronicle, it'd just be fantastic. Yeah. You know. So a couple of things oh, I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. So what was your view of the alternative covers? Did you go out and scrape and, and <laughs> beg to get every single issue? Um, I got some. Um, do you remember there was that company, Comic Collector Live, that did a couple? 
Yeah. Um, I got those. I got... You get the the very special one where there's only like about 100 of them left because there was that printing error? No, I didn't get that. Yeah, I that's the one that. I missed out. Now, they, now they're asking 150 200 bucks for it. Yeah, so for people who didn't know, there was... Um, I think it was actually issue 12, so Mike Bullock's first issue. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, there was an error at the printers with the first cover they did, and it resulted in the cover's kind of being scratched so it looked like it had been printed and then someone had scratched the ink off the cover um, and only a couple of hundred were made obviously because of the error and stuff and myself and I'm suppose you'd be the same Jermaine and a lot of other people didn't buy them because they looked terrible and you're like we're not paying you know full price comic of a comic for this thing so we waited till they were reprinted um, or bought one of the variants now, like Jermaine says, those things are worth heaps because there are so few of them. Um, but I still wouldn't buy one. Like, I'm happy not having it in my in my yeah. collection. Um, I think I've got about 80 to 90% of all of the variants. Yeah. Um, I was lucky in the sense that my comic book shop didn't jack up the prices for each. Oh, okay. For all the variants, and they still don't. Um but they're not, uh, you know, so I, I tend to get the majority of the variants, but I'm, I refuse to go out and get, you know, get ones that are going to send me back a fortune because yeah. for 50 bucks, I can get I can get something else. Yeah. I can get a 2040s toy or, you know, something else like that or, you know, something that I don't already have. Yeah, so, so I got all the... Um I got all the Comic Collector Live variants, which actually well, I say all. I think it was only two or three. I got each of the variants for the um, Invisible Children because, like we said, the the money made from those went to the actual um, Invisible Children Foundation. Um, I got both covers for the first annual. Um, the second cover being a really cool black and white one. Yeah, I really like that. It's probably one of my favourite covers. Yeah. Um, for Series 2, I don't think I got any of the variants at all because they started to get a bit silly. Like, I remember Issue 0 had about five or six different covers, <laughs> but the only real difference was, was the, the colour of the was skull. The color of the skull, yeah. So the for those that might not have seen it, Issue Zero's cover is basically the skull mark, and the variant cover is that mark just in a different colour. Yeah, you had what, white black and purple yeah. or something like that. Yeah, so if there was a cover I particularly liked, because my comic store would get all of them, I'd just buy that one. Um, unless it was one of the ones that was more expensive. So for issue one of series two, I got the Lee... Uh, sorry, not Lee Falk, the Cy Barry cover, uh, which was cover C, as opposed to any of the others, because it was the same price as the rest, and it's Cy Barry, so, you know, you're not going to not get it. Um, but yeah, no, I, did, I didn't go crazy with, with the variants. Yeah. So for me, it was like if if my local comic book shop had got them, I would get them. But you know, and then occasionally I've gone and gone through and go, oh, that's cheap. Oh, I don't have that one. I'll pick that one up as well. Yeah. But yeah, not not like a, a Luke Gagan who um who has uh, spent his wedding his uh, wedding <laughs> money on uh, some of the alternative covers. Uh, oh no, I stand corrected. I got both covers for the second annual as well. There you go. But um, yeah, so. I remember Luke saying, I think you might have asked him on Facebook about the variants or something, and he said that some of them are ridiculous.
ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So, yeah, you want to be really keen in getting those. Um, yeah. But some of them are really nice. And uh, to be honest, they haven't gone as silly as what um, uh, Dynamite has done. No, that's true. But I think I think Dynamite had, was it 10 or 12 for the first yeah, last they, fandom issue? Yeah, they had heaps of them. You know, I think I got like about eight of them, and I just thought, yeah, well, that's enough for me. Yeah. Um, and then I'm talk- I've been talking to a couple of them, and they're still trying to hunt some of them down. And like one of them got one of them for like two hundred bucks or something. Yeah, and like as, as nice as some variant covers are, I think if they go above, <coughs> excuse me, if they go above, you know, twenty bucks, forget it. If it's above ten, it'd want to be pretty good for me to break my money yeah. out on it. Um, there are some comics I do get each variant cover for, but those series, the variant cover is the same price as a regular issue. So, yeah. you know, that that's different to spending 10, 15, 20, 200 bucks on basically what equates to a piece of paper. All right, so I've got a couple of other questions for you, Mike. Yep. So, well, so I don't know if people remember or if people even knew, but there was a competition where the... Um, so Moonstone did a competition where... The winner got their cover printed. Ah, uh, uh, yes. So I think originally it was only supposed to be like one person got their cover printed, but then they ended up liking some of the content so much that they ended up printing out like the top three or something. Top like three, that. yeah. And um, I think uh, Lindsay was one of them. Yep, Lindsay Walker, who went on to do several covers for Moonstone and some interior art for uh, one of the. Phantom um, Generations issues, but I'm not sure which one it was. I'll have to have a quick look. But I thought that was a brilliant idea, and I, I think this is one of the reasons why they had such, why people had such a soft spot for Moonstone. Even though, and, and let's be honest, we've, we've highlighted some of the negative stuff, and so they made mistakes. Oh, yeah. But I think the reason, one of the reasons why they had such a soft spot was the fact that, you know, they had competition like this where people can get the cover printed. You know, and then there was another competition where the winner was placed inside a phantom story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was Paul Andreas, I think, from uh, Norway, I think it was. So, you know, having some of these competitions, you know, and it, and it makes me think, like, some, you know, like, they, you never you never see them doing something like that. Um, even free, I don't think you would kind of, you know, you know, I can't see them saying, oh, look, we're after some, you know, cool talent for free covers. You know, send in some, you know, send in a cover and we'll, um, and, you know, we'll do a, we'll do a competition on our website or on our Facebook or on our Instagram and then the, the most favourite one we'll get, you know, we'll get, we'll get, um, uh, published or, or something like that. Yeah. You know, the, the, that's the reason why Moonstone has such a soft spot for so many people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's great that that connection to the fan community that they had is, was brilliant. Yeah, and to be honest, they got three covers out, of which I don't know if they ended up giving them any money for it, but they ended up, you know, in a sense, they got three, three, free, free, yeah. no money involved covers. Yeah, exactly. Um. You know, so it was winning all around, and these budding artists for, you know, Lindsay got some gig, and, you know, so she ended up getting a bit of an ongoing work from it. Um, and, you know, and 
It was winning all around, really. Yeah, exactly. No, it was, it was a great thing. And some of the artwork was brilliant. And it was such a raw, wide variety, too, even just to see so many fans' art. I remember one guy did um did a version that where the Phantom almost looked like Popeye, which was really cool. I would have loved to see him print that, but anyway. I like the one where... um where you see the knife and then the Phantom's bashing at the guy and the reflection yeah, of the knife. Yeah, that's one of Lindsay's. That was Lindsay's cover. And that okay. is on. That got used on, I think it was Generations 2, is it? I'll find it in a sec. Or maybe it was one of the regular series. I think it was the second regular series. Second regular series. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'll just see if we can find which issue that is. Oh, come on, program. And then there was the one where the Phantom and the on Hero and Devil were going through the fire and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, there was some great... Some great... Nah, here we go. So, Lindsay's um, cover with the sword that you mentioned was, yeah, the third issue, issue 3B, so the B variant um, of the Ghost Who Walks series. I'm not sure what the other one was. I'm just looking for it. I may not have got that one. Don't know. But yeah, it was a it was a great idea for Moonstone to do that. Yeah. So uh anything else we wanna cover before we um, wrap this up? Not really, I guess, you know, some of the notes that we made was, you know, we've got the spat with DE, which we kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. We've got the delays with the Moonstone stories, which is a bit of a negative, which is a bit of a pain. But, yeah. you know, uh, I think in it's nothing new, if, even if you look at DE and um, Hermes. They did it as, they're doing it as well. So, yeah, yeah no. What about the um, the hiring of Phantom Consultants? What did you... What was your idea? Yeah, I think we we briefly touched upon that, but I I thought it was great because it had... Now, Brian Shannon's a very traditional... He's a traditionalist. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I I think that relationship kind of soured a little bit from what I remember. But, you know, it was a great... it's It's a good move getting someone who knows the character involved somehow. If, if people are interested, I think Brian details a little bit of what happened there on his website on deepwoods.org. You'd have to go searching for it, but I'm pretty sure yeah, it, it is on there. Um, um, and for people who don't know, Brian Shedden was... His website, deepwoods.org, was basically the... It was probably... The, it was the place to go regarding anything phantom that was online. Yeah, probably from about well, I think it was about 1996 to 2006. 2006. He, yeah, he quit after 10 years. So, you know, it was the place to go. He had the history of of through history of Sweden, of Israel, all these other different stuff. Yeah, it's it's still well, maybe not so much now because of the Phantom Wiki, yeah. but the Phantom Wiki grew out of what Brian did, yeah. and. For a long, 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 long time, even after the wiki started for several years, it was the place to go for any kind of reference information about mm-hmm. the Phantom. It's a brilliant, brilliant website. So it's it's no longer updated, but all the content is still there. Yeah. For anyone that wants to check it out. So that's deepwoods.org. 
Yeah, and then they got Ed Rhodes, who you know is one of the nicest gentlemen you would ever, mm. you know, ever meet. Different from Brian in the sense that he he's a traditionalist, but I think he was more of the of the lines of, "Hey, we're getting new fan stories in America. This is great news. Let's yeah. pump them up and give them as much positive." And I think he had a bit of experience with working with publishers previously, so he probably knew how it worked in internally yeah. and that so it might have been a better relationship just from that perspective yeah I'm not sure if Brian had any experience in that area or not but um, I know that Ed did have some yeah but it was good um, you can kind of tell that Hermes has kind of got something similar like I know they're working closely well, I know the publisher is a fan fan of it and I know they're working public, working fairly closely with, um, with you know Glenn Ford and yeah, and, and some others as well. So they're going along similar lines where they're getting people who know the character. Oh, and also Ivan Peterson as well, one of your buddies. Mm. Um, you know, so they're you know they're they're getting knowledgeable people involved in the in the in the process to be able to help create a better comic. Yeah, exactly. And I think you can see that in the end, in the end product. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right, well, um, we've been talking about Moonstone for quite a while, so we should probably wrap this up. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to us carry on about America's last great fan and publisher, shall we say. We're, the jury's still out a bit on Dynamite, but they've got a lot of catch-up oh, no, to do. Dynamite's probably, you know... Yeah, they've been around for how long now? Five years? Something like that, yeah. And they've produced what? 20 comics? Yeah, roughly. 20 stories, and, you know, and let's, let's, let's be honest, even the latest King one, we, I don't even know if we can really call that a phantom story. No. Um, you know, Lofa doesn't even appear in the costume, so... But that's know. for next... We'll, we'll, we'll have a big bitch about that next episode, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, DE's got a long way to go. Yeah, they do. They do. Right, guys. Well, thank you very much for joining us in this special Moonstone Spotlight episode. Um, thank you for listening to this god awful long, long, long episode. Um, maybe we will split it, split it into. Right, folks. So as always, check out the website chroniclechamber.com. You can find us uh, on various social media outlets um, on Facebook at Chronicle Chamber Phantom Fan Page or Phantom Collector, where you can share all your fandom collecting goodies and also buy and sell stuff now if you have anything you want to get out of or add to your collection we're also on twitter as ghost to tweets you can find us there on at chronicle underscore tweet um and we're also on uh google plus with the main uh website page just being chronicle chamber and we also have a fan page which is simply called the phantom fan page so very easy to find um, email us any comments, questions, queries, complaints <laughs> to chroniclechamber at gmail.com. Um, if you have any comments about Moonstone that you'd like to share, we'd, of course, love to hear from you. Next episode will probably be just a regular news and comics, uh, new issues episode. So if you have any comments on any of that, send those along too. All right, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Jermaine, for helping me out talk about all this stuff. No worries, it was a pleasure. 
See you, everybody. And if you haven't read any of those stories, make sure you dig them out. Yes, check out any Moonstone stuff you can get your hands on. There are trades out there, so hopefully they shouldn't be too hard to find. Right, fellow fans, until next time. See you later. Bye-bye.